You are listening to DNA Discoveries. I'm Edward Looney, and today we're going to be sharing a story of finding family. And today we'll be speaking with Ed, who is going to be sharing about how he found family after a long time of research and how this story came about. And so I'm very grateful that Ed is joining me. He's one of these people that found the podcast, maybe by accident. He was searching for a DNA podcast, listened to all the episodes in one day, kind of binge listened, and then reached out to me. And so that's how DNA Discoveries Stories of Finding Family can happen, is if you reach out to me asking me to help you share your story on this platform. Without your story, I can't help you share it. I can't release episodes. So you can reach out to me at DNA Discoveries Podcast at gmail.com, or you could find the Fireside page and contact me there through the online form, share a little bit of your story, and I'll respond just like I did to Ed, and he shared a great bit of his story with me via email, which really helped me to familiarize myself with it so that we can have this wonderful conversation today. So I'd like to welcome Ed to the show. Hello. Well, it's great to have you, and uh, yeah, thanks again for reaching out. And I'm very honored by the fact that you found the podcast, you listened to all the episodes, and then you said, I want to share my story too. And that's one of the things, and we were talking about this before we started recording, that I call this kind of a sleeper podcast, a dormant podcast. I release episodes when people message me, and so if there were more people that messaged, then I would release more regular content. But I really can only release when I have these stories to share. But every month, though, I still check the metrics of the podcast. And there are hundreds of downloads every month of people that want to hear these stories. And again, I don't know how these people are finding them, but they find the stories and they listen. And I'm very honored by that. And you were one of them. And so thanks so much for reaching out. It's my pleasure. And, And I found the podcast simply by doing a search on Spotify for I believe it was DNA stories, uh, something with those types of keywords. And your podcast was one of the first ones that popped up. Yeah, well, that's great. And I'm sure, you know, lots of people do these DNA tests, especially they do them right around Christmas when they get them for a gift. And so I bet if I check metrics in a few months when they start getting their results back and maybe they're surprised and they start looking like for stories of saying, Am I the only person or have other people had this happen to them too? So uh, I'm sure after Christmas and once they're all processed, this might yield more stories that I'll be able to share because they'll do the very same thing that you did by going to the search bar and typing in DNA stories. And you have a wonderful story. It's not, it, it is your story because you're part of the family, but it's really your father's story that you're going to be sharing and how he uh, came to realize and know that he had different family. But one of the things that really motivated you to do this was the fact that you love family history and you you have researched your family background uh, very much. In fact, traveling to different places to do genealogical research. And so why do you have this passion for family history, even before you dabbled in the DNA aspect of it? This passion is one of a few passions I have had and experienced in my life that I can only describe as something that has been planted in me and 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 is a, a a deep part of me when i was 16 years old i asked my father 
a number of questions about his paternal family. And he he knew a bit about it. He knew that his father, his, his father's father, his grandfather was from Poland, but he didn't really know what part of Poland. And my big question at the time were, where are all the other Bardziks? And are even are there other Bardziks? And so I began to research the Bardzik family. And what I found out, and, and of course, this was in the late 80s. So the internet was around, but it wasn't accessible to everyone. So I was doing very traditional library research and newspaper research and microfilm and things like that. I went to libraries found U.S. phone books from all around the country and simply started calling Bardziks to learn their family histories. And after a few years of very intense research, I discovered that there were seven different groups of Bardziks in the U.S., all of whom had a progenitor in Poland and from the same small town of a little less than 3,000 people in Poland. And as I got in contact with different relatives and got in, co in contact with some other people over the years who were able to get me some documents from different places, I was able to directly connect up three of the groups, one of which was our own, and find a tentative link to a fourth. Um, and, and, and again, knowing the whole time from the initial research that all of these groups had roots back in this town and in 2006 my father and my brother and i took a roots trip to this small town in poland the name of which is Ujikoin, and we met with the parish priest and we went to the cemetery there and we were able to get records going back to the late 1700s that put even more people onto our tree. And this was just a very profound experience for us. I remember we met a man in the cemetery who just happened to see us looking at someone's grave. And through the interpreter we had with us, we found out that it was his grandmother. And he, when he learned why we were there, he invited us back to his home. And it turns out he lived just across the street from the parcel of farmland where my dad's grandfather had lived before he uh, emigrated to the U.S. And I remember when we walked on that land, my dad just felt such a profound connection to his family. And, and he, was, he was even tearing up. And, and the, the whole experience of being there and meeting that, that clansman and a couple of other Bardziks who we met during that day there and in a neighboring town was just incredible for us. And moving out of that experience, I really felt that I had put a body of work together on this family that was conclusive, comprehensive, and cohesive, and that it laid the groundwork to incorporate the other three groups at such times as more information would become available. So fast forward um eight more years my father um was contacted by someone on facebook who turned out to be the grandson of one of his mother's 
siblings who had remained in the Slovak Republic after her parents emigrated to the U.S. And my dad wound up making uh, two trips that year to Slovakia to meet this man and some of his extended family members. And then the next year, in 2015, my dad decided he would take a DNA test because some of these tests were becoming popular and he, he felt this would be an interesting way to see what his ancestry showed through a DNA test. He expected that his DNA test results would reflect his Eastern European ancestry. When he received his results, they showed that he was 50% Eastern European and 50% Ashkenazi Jewish. Ashkenazi Jewish is Eastern European Jewish. However, it is distinctly delineated from Eastern European ethnicity. You know, I always caution people sometimes, you know, people give these gifts of the ancestry DNA kits and, you know, they have a great respect for their father. And I say, well, do you really want to do this? Because if you do this, you might discover that your father had an affair. You might discover that your father did not father you that your mother was having an affair like i always caution people is this something that you really want to open that you really want to discover and so for him with this family history with your role and kind of compiling all of the bardzik family history and then meeting this other relative uh from slovakia of course that creates those questions and we want to know more things and and uh and so this was quite the discovery because he didn't believe that he should have any Jewish aspect of his ancestry. Is that correct? That's correct. And neither one of us had any reason to even suspect it, in, in part because in Poland, we, we had literally traced his ancestry back in a Catholic church going back centuries with with records there and so we both knew that with 50 percent Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry that he had to have had one parent who was fully Ashkenazi Jewish hmm. and that just was not part of our frame of reference of what what we had researched me on the bardzik side so doing doing much of that research and my father on his bohenic side which is his mother's family so we didn't know how that fit in and we decided together that a good first step would be to have his sister the sister he grew up with to test and she did it took a little while to get all that done. So about a year later, her test results came back. And what my dad noticed was that she was about 97 or 98 percent east of, of Eastern European descent. And the, the other three percent were, I, I'm going to call them related ancestries. And I don't remember exactly what each of them were, but you know, maybe one of them was like 1% Scandinavian or something like that. Sort of insignificant as far as who her biological parents would have been. And so we sort of sat with that for a while. We discussed the fact that this might mean she's a half-sister. And it wasn't until about a year after that 
in in 2017 around Thanksgiving, I actually sat with my dad and he gave me the password to his ancestry account. And I learned several things about ancestry that day, one of which was that ancestry gives you a list of people who are DNA matches to you. And I really didn't understand that part of it before I got into his account that day. And the more I got into it during that, that Thanksgiving, what I could see was that my dad and my aunt definitely shared a set of relatives. However, my dad had another set of relatives, another set of DNA matches that he did not share with my aunt. And virtually all of them had very significant amounts of Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry. And that my aunt had a set of DNA matches that she did not share with my dad. And virtually all of them were largely Eastern Europe, excuse me, Eastern European. I began to study something called centimorgans. Centimorgans are a measure of autosomal DNA. My dad's ancestry account indicated that he shared 1,702 centimorgans with his sister. This number is incompatible with the range of centimorgans that full siblings share. It is, however, almost in the center of the range of centimorgans that half-siblings share. So at that point in time, we were certain that they shared only one biological parent, very likely their mother, and that my dad's biological father was his Ashkenazi Jewish parent. However, to, to fully test and prove our hypothesis, what we did is we reached out to a known Bardzik first cousin of my dad and his sister. And in fact, she's the only first cousin that they have on that side. And she got tested. And when the results came back and we got them in March of 2018, I'll I'll never forget the day. It was March 20th, 2018. And it showed that that first cousin was definitively a predicted first cousin to my aunt and, and shared no autosomal DNA with my dad. And so then we knew that that it was my dad who had the different father and at at that moment i felt more destabilized (laughs) than i i can ever remember feeling in my life because at at that point i had been researching the bardzik family for 30 years and I, i was proud of the heritage i had developed relationships with different bardzik family members and even very distant family members over the years and really formed meaningful relationships with many of these people through social connection of our Bardzik heritage. And then beyond that, through, through other things we did. And, and, and one of them, who's a, a guy from Germany, I, we traveled together in, in 2017 to New Zealand together. Um, it was it was me and, and him and his brother. And so veritable friendships had come from finding the from finding um, familial connection. And, and then for me to realize that this wasn't my biological family, it really, really had an impact on me where I went when I was in that space 
was into a state where I had to find out the identity of my father's biological father. And the same passion that I had to discover more of the Bardzik family when I was a teenager was reignited with me. And I, 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 I literally, it felt to me like time sort of stopped and I, and I got into a hyper-focus mode. And I, I had a, a couple very interesting breaks that happened along the way. But in a five-week period, I was able to definitively figure out who my dad's biological father was. And, and I did this by collaborating with someone who had shown up on my dad's ancestry as a predicted first to second cousin. His name was Brant. Brant's father had shown up as a predicted first cousin to my father. It turned out that Brant's father's father slash Brant's grandfather, who was deceased, had been adopted. Brant was working to find the identities of the biological parents of his grandfather, something his grandfather had not succeeded in doing during his own lifetime. He had died in 1994, never knowing who his biological parents were. As we looked at Centimorgans and as we compared common relatives, what we figured out was that Brant's grandfather, who was born almost 21 years before my dad, was in fact a paternal half-brother to my dad. They both shared the same mystery biological father. When Brant sent me a picture of his grandfather, chills went down my spine. I had never seen anyone who looked so much like my dad, except for his sister and his mother. I literally was seeing for the first time into a part of my family, which had been unknown to me. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the reaction, maybe. And your father kind of is receiving all of this information. What did he take away? What was his response uh, to all of this as it was going on? Was he in complete shock? What was his emotional state? You, you said yourself that you were destabilized, that you know th everything that you thought you knew, you no longer know, and all of these relationships. What was your father's reaction? My father's reaction emotionally was, was different than mine at that point at least in terms of what he outwardly shared. And, and I did share what I was feeling with him then. What he told me is that from the time he got the initial DNA results back in 2015, which at, this, at that point in time was two and a half years previous, he said he, he pretty much knew that, his, that the father he grew up with the, the man who raised him and with whom he had a very good relationship was not his biological father. And so what he shared with me was just that he wasn't in that initial shock at that point. And for whatever reason, he didn't feel the burning desire that I did to find so much out about the his actual biological father. It was not that he was disinterested. But something got sparked within me at a different level, a very visceral level that just was not ignited to the same level within my dad. 
So within five weeks, you're able to work with some of the other family members of your father's biological side now that were completely unknown to you before this fact, and you found this picture, you identify the father. So then what happens after that? So just to backtrack, one of the things we did before we found the biological father is that I had done some research on how private investigators would go about doing this research. And so one of the techniques that they recommended was uploading the your, your, your DNA to as many different websites as possible. And so my father had initially tested with Ancestry. Subsequent to that, he had also tested with 23andMe. And those two platforms both allow you to download your DNA, and then the DNA can be uploaded to other sites for free. And so there was one week in April, which I didn't realize at the time, but it turned out to be DNA week. (laughs) And it also turned out to be the week that the Golden State Killer was caught due to what's called genetic genealogy. And unbeknownst to me, I was doing genetic genealogy myself. Hmm. I didn't know that's what it was called to find the identity of my father's biological father. So what I did is I uploaded my dad's DNA to my heritage, to family tree DNA, to GEDmatch, and to um, living DNA. And on April 28th, 2018... I, I saw that on family tree DNA, there was a very close match to my dad. And this person lived in Chicago. And from what I could tell, she had relatives in the same small town as my dad had grown up in, in Pennsylvania, which is a, a town of 4,000 people, or, or, huh. or it was 4,000 people in 1940 when my father was born. And I verified this through some newspaper articles, and I, I was looking at these Santa relationships, and I could see that her grandfather lived in this town for much of his life, but I also could see that if my dad, for example, was the son of this man, that he would then be the uncle of the woman in Chicago. And that did not add up. So looking at different Centimorgan charts, I tried to figure out what relationship my dad could have to this woman that would make sense. And the one that kept sticking out as the most logical just looking at when my father was born and when the grandfather of the woman in Chicago was born, what I kept coming up with was that if this guy who was the grandfather of the woman in Chicago had a brother and my dad was the son of that brother, that would make my dad a first cousin once removed to this woman. And so I took out a subscription to newspaper archive and researched this man a little more and i found out he did have a brother who lived in the same town and then i found out that that the brother owned a store in that town and i googled the i I put into google maps the address of the store from various advertisements i had found for the store 
And then I put in my grandmother's address and it was point six of a mile away from the home my father grew up in. And mm. I, I said, I, this is, this is it. <laughs> and so at this point it was midnight in Boulder, Colorado where I lived and I called my dad and, and he and my mom were on a trip in France. And so I got them quite early in the morning and I excitedly was ready to tell my dad all this information. And I said, dad, uh, are you sitting down? And he said, no, we're getting, we're being shuttled onto a bus to Chateau Chambord. I can't talk. And I'm like, Oh man. And I, I, so I had all this excitement and I had to sit with it. So we agreed I would call him at 5 PM uh, that, that day his time and so i just went to bed at that point because i i literally spent almost 18 hours straight at that point going over information and putting santa morgan relationships together wow so when i called my dad the next morning and my time and began to tell him the story i got to the name of the man who was the grandfather of the woman in chicago and when I said his name and his last name, I, I said, and then he had a brother named, and I, I, I said the first name, which was Harry, and my dad finished the sentence with the man's last name. And I, and I said, you knew him? And what my dad said is, he said, well, he was a friendly acquaintance of my parents, and my parents used to do business with him. And, and so this just put the final puzzle piece in place for us um right before that second phone call to my dad i had written an email to the woman in chicago by the time i wrapped up my conversation with my dad i had a response from her and something that that's important to know about this story is that my dad had red hair he was the only one in the family he grew up in who did have red hair i i have red hair and the first sentence of this woman's email to me, and w without me ever having sent her a picture or anything like that, was, Ed, this is so wonderful. Happy to, happy to find a new family member. And then, and then the next partial sentence just said, lots of red hair in the family, exclamation point. And again, <laughs> chills went down my spine. And, and I shared this with my dad before we hung up. And I, I just, I, I felt like this had all, all come full circle. So what, what happened since then is that I, I've taken the same passion that I had for my research on the Bardzik family, and I've thrown it into doing as much research and, and making connections with the new family. And, and, and the, the paternal family name is Inselman. And it turns out that my great grandparents on that side were actually from a town in modern day Ukraine, which is only about 175 miles away from the town in southeastern Poland where the Bardzik family came from. Okay. So, wow. Yeah, there's so much there in the story that you just shared. And so I'm thinking about your dad's mom and your dad's father. And so his dad raises him, believing him to be his own child. And so I can only think that there are two possible scenarios here. The first is, is that the dad knew that he wasn't the father of your dad, but decided to stay and raise the child as his own. 
or his mother, your grandmother, would have had to have carried this then for the rest of her life, kind of this internal secret that she couldn't tell anyone. And you just wonder if it was this big, huge family secret that people knew and then nobody else knew. And so now you're discovering it through all of this research and unraveling this great mystery. And what a great puzzle that you've just solved to be able to put all of those pieces together. I was just in awe of all of the research that you did from going to Google Maps even and putting in the address of this man's store and realizing, wow, he's really close. And you know, you can kind of put the story together and fill in the lines there uh, in that storyline. Yes. We actually have, and, and, and when I say we, it's, it's my dad and me, we have a very interesting theory as to what we think probably happened. And, and we will never know definitively because there's nobody from that generation who's alive and any people in the town who knew my grandparents or were friends with the family who we have talked to about this and we've talked to a number of them, nobody nobody knows anything that, that would sure. shed any light on this. However, my grandparents got married in, and when I say my grandparents, I mean my grandmother and the man who essentially was my step grandfather, as we, we now realize. Sure. They got married in 1932. And by 1939, they did not have any children. Oh. And yeah. And some things that, that I didn't so much think about that a few other people with whom I've shared my story have, have brought to light to me is that in the 1930s, um, there would have been a lot of pressure on my grandmother to have children. And this would come both from her family, which I, I which my dad told me that, that, that it was an expectation that, that people would have children and, and probably many multiple children, and that it was also an expectation of hers uh, sort of tied in with the family expectation because she was a Catholic woman, and, and, and this is a, a, a part of that tradition. And so my dad began to muse and just talk to me about this, about how she might have felt in seven years into her marriage and not having any children. And this idea came about that perhaps this was an arrangement between my grandmother and my biological grandfather. And there's, there are some facts that would seem to support this. My biological grandfather was not married during that period of time. And he clearly was somebody who my grandmother trusted and had known for much of her life. And so again, we'll never know this. And I always want to make a point when I'm telling the story to, to state what is conjecture and what is proven fact. We, we have centered in on this theory as the most probable theory as to what happened. We definitely know that my biological, my biological grandfather did marry two years after my father's birth. That, that marriage, we don't believe produced any children. And of course, he did have this other child prior to my dad and prior to being married. And that was when he was younger and at an age when both he and the, the biological mother of my dad's half brother would have, it, it would have been a very likely scenario that 
at, at their ages at that time that they would have put that child up for adoption. But for it to have happened later on and under the circumstances that it did, we, we feel that it was very likely an arrangement. Hmm. The interesting thing that happened is that 14 months later, my aunt was born, my half-aunt to be technical, was born between my grandmother and my Bardzik step-grandfather. And something I found out just within the last six weeks from my own family doctor, which I did not know, but it came out when I was sharing this story with her, is that very often if women are have been unable to get pregnant and then they do, another pregnancy follows very quickly afterwards. Oh, and wow. so... Yeah, I, I I never knew that. This and then a makes couple sense. people had mentioned. Yeah, I know other situations where it's like, you know, uh, there was a family member that was born, and then like nine months later they had another kid, and you're like, well, you know, how does how did this take place? You know, I I totally can put people in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, and and so, we and we know my grandmother wanted children, and. So we don't know if my grand, if the man I knew as my grandfather ever had any idea that my dad was not his biological child. My dad said he never felt any, any, in any way that, that he was treated differently. And, and my dad had a very good relationship with, with the dad who raised him. And so I, I, and I think that's probably likely another reason that, that my dad had, somewhat of a different initial response to this because he, he, he had a good relationship with, with his dad. And, and to the, to the point that when I went and researched that family, my dad was not only supportive of it, but 110% in, and, and it was my dad who suggested this roots trip. So, um, and, and, and that man who was my dad's dad, but not his his biological father, he died when I was just a little over two years old. So I don't have any memory of him. And I don't know how I would have felt had I had a relationship that I remembered into my adulthood with him. So you've done all this Bardzik family history and everything like that. You've talked about, you know, him being raised by the man he believed to be his father and how there was this great relationship and everything like that. I'm curious though now, how did the rest of the Bardzik family, once this came out, your dad's sister, for example, how did she take it? How did the rest of the family take this news? So my dad's sister did did not take it well. She she initially completely denied it. And then when my dad got together with her in the summer of 2018, just the two of them one-on-one with his computer, with his Ancestry account, and went over everything with her, all the centimorgans, all the research that we had done, the, the fact that, that I pulled a man's name essentially out of thin air from a DNA match in Chicago, and then this man turned out to have lived about half a mile from them growing up. And, and at that one point, my dad said that my aunt accepted it, but then she sort of did a retreat and stuck her head in the sand. And we've, anytime it has come up in conversation since then, she's, 
either shut the conversation down or just walked out of the room. So we, we are giving her her space. Uh, it, it's certainly her right to process this or not in, in her space and time. It, it is sad for us that we don't have the opportunity to discuss this with her. And an interesting part of this, which I'll get into maybe in, in the next little section that we talk about, is that I, we formed some very nice relationships with people in the newfound family, and they universally would be open to meeting her as well. And sure. we just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, There have been other people in the Bardzik family, though, where it, it's been so profound, their support for us, just as fellow friends and, and family. And, and, and I think one thing I've learned through this is that family can take on a broader meaning than just biological family. So one couple with whom I'm, I became so close, one Bardzik couple up in Massachusetts over the years, they were one of the first newfound Bardziks I reached out to going back to like 1987. And I often do an annual visit up to them in Massachusetts. And when I met with them in the fall of 2018 that year, I shared all this with them. And I honestly didn't know how they were going to respond. And and they both said to me, Ed, you will always be a Bardzik to us. And that meant so much. Oh, sure. that, that, that really brought things full circle to me at that point. And that and, and that sense of coming full circle even started back that April when I found out who the biological father was of my father. Because at that point, back in April, on one level, I said, okay, well, now I know how I fit into the biological family. And now I know how I fit into the Bardzik family. And I sort of did a reframe in my mind where I said, okay, I'm going to look at this as I have an awesome step family. I know many people who have wonderful step families. That was just how I began to move into my thinking. When I had this experience in Massachusetts, that, that, that just brought it and made it so much more significant to me. And also the cousin, the Bardzik cousin, who I traveled to New Zealand with, uh, very similar sentiments from him. And he still comes for Thanksgiving every year from Germany. <laughs> so, wow. Um, so, so for the most part, the relationships with, with the Bardzik family have continued. And in, and in a couple of cases, they've even deepened because of this. I guess I can understand where your dad's sister might be coming from. Well, this Inselman family, this newfound family of yours uh, that you're related to, this man who possibly or who actually did uh, participate in your birth, uh, I can understand she doesn't feel a connection because that's not her family. She's a Bardzik through and through. Her, Your dad's dad that raised him was her biological father and so she feels a connection there and maybe doesn't want to uh, go any deeper or explore it any further so i guess i can understand her position where she's at now and you talked about the other family so this new family you have you begin reaching out you begin talking to them your father found out he was jewish uh, this very special clan of jews from the ukraine area i believe you said and, and mm -hmm. so what what did that mean to you? I don't know if you're a religious person or whatever, but how how did finding that information out and maybe did they embrace their Jewish identity? Did you celebrate together? How did that kind of form you together uh, in this newfound family? 
So, so that, that clan, and, and I say clan because I've researched that family now back to my, my fourth great grandfather who was born in 1758. And, and I've researched it back and I've researched it wide going, going back to my great grandmother on that side and, and then her whole family. And in that clan, all, all of, every one of which is Jewish, there, there are varying, um, people fall into different groups. So some of them, I have some relatives who are Orthodox Jews. I have some who are uh, conservative. I have some who are reform. And then I have some who are, are Jewish by lineage, but are not religious. And I've, I've found ways to connect with all of them. By and large, they all have been extremely welcoming and open to connection with me and with my dad. And I, as part of my genealogy research in that family, I've made a close connection with a third cousin once removed who lives in England. And she proposed the idea that we have a Zoom Seder last year in 2021, in part because of COVID and in part because we, we together have found relatives in Israel and, and Australia and the U.S. and Canada and, of course, the U.K. And so we, we decided we would do this Zoom Seder, and it was, it was decided that I would be the one to actually be the, the host. And I was a little nervous about doing this at first. I really, I'd never been to a Seder. I, I sort of knew what a Seder celebration was about. But I got, I worked through my anxiety about it and I wound up hosting it and it really became an important point of connection for members of the, this larger Inselman, Klinghoffer, Waldman clan that, that I'm, I know I'm now a part of. And we now have regular Zooms every few months with members of this family and on a couple of my trips back to the Philadelphia area where my, my dad grew up and where my parents still live. Uh, I've, I've met uh, several of the relatives there, one of whom was visiting his daughter from Israel. I had a chance to meet him at the end of September. And we continue to form new relationships with people in this clan. And it's been very interesting for me because I, I held this role as a family genealogist in the Bardzik family. And I've more or less through the work that I started doing and then have continued doing, have stepped into that role as a family genealogist along with my cousin Nicola in England for uh, this, this larger, this larger Jewish family. And it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. My dad calls them his bonus family. <laughs> and I, I, I think of, of all of my families now, the Bardziks, the, the Inselmans, and of course the, the families on my mother's side as, as all equal parts of my, my life and, and my important relationships. One of the things you mentioned was that you gathered your family for this Zoom Seder meal last year. And of course, that must have been a new experience for you. You probably hadn't done a Seder meal before. You haven't done them often or religiously. And I guess I'm just wondering, 
you know, what did that mean for you? What was that like for you as you kind of led your family, your new family, kind of in this ancient Jewish ceremonial ritual? It was definitely a new experience for me. I had actually never been to a Seder, although I remember my dad talking about going to one at a co-workers of his um, when we had lived in Ohio for a short time. And I was always curious about it. Also, during that time that we lived in Ohio, I had a third grade teacher who was Jewish. And she was one of my favorite teachers during my entire academic career. As a matter of fact, I, I have kept in touch with her to this day. And she was one of the first people in my life who I can remember who was Jewish and would tell me about going to uh, temple on Saturdays and sharing a little bit about what some of the holidays uh, were that she and her family celebrated. And I always had a connection with her right from, right from third grade on. And I also can remember my freshman year in college in English class, the professor had us do a unit on some of the literature of the Holocaust. And I remember during that time feeling a visceral connection to the people who would have been in the Holocaust. And my professor's husband, whose family had many people perish in the Holocaust, came and spoke with us. And, and she, too, is another person during my academic career who I connected with and on a number of different levels. And so fast forward to 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, when I'm connecting with people in my newfound Jewish family, and I come to learn that my great-grandparents fled what is modern-day Ukraine, due to pogroms, and that other relatives in our extended family who had stayed there and lived until the time of the Holocaust uh, either perished or just barely escaped with their lives, this all became so much more meaningful to me. And I didn't really know what I was doing going into the Seder, but I prepared a little bit with the help of my cousin in England, and I'm really glad that I stepped into that space to be able to do that because it gave me a connection not just with people that I read about or with people I wasn't related to who were Jewish, but it, it helped build my connection with people in my own Jewish family. So it was a very meaningful experience. Yeah, it was really getting in touch with your own ancestral roots. And, you know, what I really kind of take away from what you said is that you already had felt a closeness to the Jewish people in their experiences as you learned about them, as you heard stories recounted. And then here you are years later then finding out, well, the reason why I had that connection or why I had that reaction within myself was because I am related 
in this ancestral heritage. And so it's kind of, you know, bringing everything that you've studied from your family history and having that was kind of a, a pinnacle moment, I think, at least in your family celebration and coming to terms with who you are, uh, because that was a, a part of your very identity and your being knew that even though you didn't know it yet. That, that is so well spoken that 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 captures exactly my experience i i had even mentioned to my dad shortly after this happened that at one point my professor in college had mentioned that she herself was a quarter jewish and something about that that actual statement that exact statement resonated with me and in fact that is the exact percentage of, of Jewish ancestry that I have in, in my own DNA. And so I, I definitely think on a very cosmic level that, that, that my being was connecting to all this be long before, 30 years or more before, more than 30 years before, I, I knew it on a factual level. Yeah, it's just incredible. And, you know, uh, in our little pre-talk before this, you mentioned, you know, it was literally in your DNA. And that's, you know, that's so true. And you've come to study that DNA and you've come to know and to identify so much about your family story uh, through the CMs and everything like that. Yes, yes. And it's, it's, an, it's been a, a wonderful journey. And I'm a, a segment that I'm working on at the moment is we're, I'm working to connect our insulin line up with some other insulin lines that I know of in the same city where my great grandparents had lived before they emigrated. And we're not sure if those families are related or not. Sometimes uh, in that era, which would have been in the late 1800s, there were Jewish families who had taken the same surname but weren't related because in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, starting in the late 1700s, Jews were required to take Germanic surnames. And yeah. one of my next projects is going to be reaching out to one of two males in this other insulin line I've discovered to see if they will take a Y DNA test, which I've taken, and that will show if we are matches, even though we may be too many generations apart to show up as matches autosomally. The Y DNA test that I took uh, measures connections going back as far as 24 generations. And so that's that's my next project that I'm working on. Well, I wish you the best of luck in that project. And I know that, that you have some other irons in the fire with all of this and other hopes with this work. And so uh, it's been incredible to be able to speak with you and for you to share all of this uh, with me today. It's been so fascinating. And I'm sure all the listeners, too, uh, really appreciate everything that you've shared. And uh, hopefully it gives someone else that courage to share their own story. Well, thank you, Edward. It's been a pleasure.
Well, back in the 1980s and 90s, when you started researching the Bardzik family, you never realized where that research would take you in the 2000s and in the, in 20, in the 2010s and into the 2020s, and to discover through ancestry DNA technology that wasn't available back then, but is today, to find who your father's dad really was to determine that and uh, to find this family you never would have fathomed this back when you started all of this work and your work continues now with a new family and i'm so grateful that you shared all of this today because it's such a it's a big story and a unique story at that and and you really introduced you know uh, i've never talked about the cms on this show before so i'm glad you brought that in so that people can hear that language when it comes to genetic research and and i'm very honored that you reached out and wanted to share this story with such a larger audience well edward it, it's been a pleasure and, and i'm grateful to you that you responded to my email and that you allowed me this platform to to tell my story i and my brother have been talking about doing something like this and the, in in the form of your podcast the vehicle showed up just at the right time and so, i think you have you a podcast there so i think that you can inter you could do multi episodes just kind of going through maybe you can do a whole episode on your own family research uh, of your family history back from the 80s and 90s how you did that genealogy research so that would be your start then you know you talk about ancestry dna maybe interview your dad have a conversation with him and then you can interview the lady from Chicago just to see what her reactions were when you reached out. That can be another episode. And then you can talk to the people that you did the Seder meal with. So I think you have a good like eight to 10 part uh, podcast that you really could release on all of this. And it would be valuable not only to the random person who puts in on Spotify DNA stories and for them to listen to it, but for all of your family, the the for for the Bardziks, for the Inselmans, it, it would be a, just a, a way that this can all be kind of documented and then shared in kind of a sequential manner. So I hope you do consider it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes, I, I, that's that's some encouragement to do that. And, and I'm going to take that and and roll with it. Well, thank you so much. And today you have been listening to DNA Discoveries, Stories of Finding Family. And we heard how Ed discovered his own family through his father's father. And so if you want to share your story on DNA Discoveries, feel free to reach out to me through email, through the podcast host website, or you can find the podcast on Facebook, or if you can find me on Facebook or Twitter. Until next time, I'll be waiting to share another story with you.